You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. The paradox of power. I want to talk to you today about some paradoxes that are going on in our lives. The Bible is full of paradoxes. Now, if in case you're wondering, what is the word paradox? What does it mean? A paradox means an absurdity. Two statements that completely disagree with each other are an apparent contradiction. Two contradictory statements. Something cannot be simultaneously black and white. That is a paradox. It's a contradiction. They don't agree with each other. I want to be sure that we're all on the same page. When we look at paradoxes, there's lots of paradoxes in the Bible. Jesus taught a lot using paradoxes. Let me give you an example of some kingdom paradoxes that Jesus uses. For instance, Jesus said, the first will be last, and the last will be? You see, that doesn't make any sense. It's not logical, but that's what Jesus said. He said, whoever finds his life will? And whoever loses his life? It's a paradox. By losing your life, you actually find your life. Jesus said this a long time ago, but now modern psychologists and sociologists are discovering that this is a very good thing. That when we give outside of ourselves, we actually have more life, not less. That giving actually increases us, not the way the other way around. Jesus said, the greatest will be the least, and the least will be the greatest. So if you want to go up in the world, you have to go down to get up in the world. You know what I'm saying? It's contradictory, it's paradoxical. He also says that whoever wants to be the boss must be the servant of all. Whoever wants to be, and in actual fact, if you look at how that paradox works out in governments and in governmental systems all over the world, you find that the less servant-hearted the leader of the country is, the more likely it is to head towards dictatorship. And that's the plain truth, because the country serves the, serves the president or serves the king rather than the other way around. One paradox, and the one I want to look at maybe more specifically today, is this one. Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. And that seems to me so contradictory, because when I look at my life, I go, when I'm weak, I'm normally pretty weak. I don't really feel a sense of strength when I feel weak. And that's the paradox I want to look at a little bit today. I'm going to dip back in to 1 Samuel um, chapter chapter 17 as I did last week but I'm also going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 just for a moment now last Sunday we were talking about the clash between David and Goliath though in some senses I actually think it's a clash between Goliath and David because quite clearly in the story it's Goliath who has the upper hand he is the one who's in control we talked about gravity and how gravity was actually against Goliath I'm not going to go into it too much we looked at that and we looked at it uh, when we were talking about one of them was a heavyweight and the other was a lightweight. One of them was strong, the other was weak. When we looked at them, we saw how uh, Goliath was fully armed, very superior in his arms. And we saw how David actually wasn't very superiorly armed. He came at Goliath with very, very little. And anybody who was placing bets, paddypower.com, were not putting money on David to win that day. And we looked at the story about how it, David came, 
He said, I'll take on this challenger. The challenger Goliath came out and said, send me someone who'll fight me. If he defeats me, we'll become your slaves. And if you defeat us, we'll become your slaves. And so David comes out as, as a type of Christ to challenge death and slavery. And in that, in this story, we see the work of Jesus at work. I'm going to complete just a little bit of that Christological act this morning, if you will bear with me, by diving straight back into the story and going into a few verses of it. May God bless us as we read his word this morning. May he speak to us as we look at it. May we take something away, perhaps to break off and give to someone else in these coming weeks or months in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When we read God's word, when we come in and we listen to the preaching of God's word, sometimes it isn't actually about us. It may not necessarily be about where we're at right at this moment. But you know something? It'll be where someone in your life is at in the next while. And so therefore, when we come and we listen to God's word, we're listening not only for us, but also for others. That's what God's word does. It feeds people. Let's have a look at what it says. As Goliath moved closer to attack, we dive straight into the fight. David ran quickly to meet him, reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone, the stone sank in. Goliath stumbled and fell down to the ground. We're all familiar with it. He marches out lumbering and giant, full of weapons, full of aggression, full of strength, charges at David. But David, because he's felt and light and swift, and no burdens on him is able to move more quickly. And he fires a stone, one of five stones that he has picked up and put into his bag. And he fires it with a sling, something he would have used to get rid of wild animals. Or maybe just to play in practice with while he was being bored, minding sheep out in the middle of nowhere. And as Goliath is coming towards David, all he can see is this little black dot flying through the air. And then, dunk, into his forehead. And the stone sinks in, and this big lumbering giant falls down. And it's such a wonderful end, but that's not actually how Goliath died. Because we think David hit him with a stone, and killed him with a stone, and that was it. But that's not actually what happened. Here's what actually happened. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone because he had no sword. David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath, and David used it. To kill him and cut off his head. We went to church this morning. And Pastor Michael, he talked about beheading our enemies. It's so, it was like going to an ISIS conference. <laughs> he cut off his head with his own sword. Hallelujah. Can you see the type and work of Jesus Christ at work here? Can you see the work of Jesus being demonstrated in this type here from the Old Testament? Remember what we said? I'm always saying it. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So what you do is you see these stories being worked out in the life and in the ministry and in the work of Jesus. And that's what we benefit from today. He uses his own sword, takes his weapons from him and takes off his head. And then this is where we come in. So if you will, you know, sometimes we read the story. We know, we know in our hearts and souls, the scripture teaches us clearly that at the cross, Jesus defeated the enemy. Would anyone say amen? And yet the enemy is still knocking around. He, but he's in retreat. Because this is also here in type. This is what it says. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. 
And then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout in triumph and rushed after the Philistines. And then the Israelite army returned and plundered the deserted Philistine camp. Can you see us? Remember last week I was saying that we are the army of Israel and we need a champion to save us. Hallelujah. His name is Jesus. We sang about him a minute ago. But that is where we then join the battle. Because death has been defeated by Jesus and we now march into the battle against a defeated enemy who is on the run but he's fighting a rear guard action and he is a dangerous opponent brothers and sisters but we overcome him in the name in the might and in the power of Jesus Christ and anyone say amen that's how we do it I love this image painted by Caravaggio of the young David coming back with the head of Goliath in his hand. Oh, Pastor, I was so upset by what I saw in church. I love this. Caravaggio painted in 1610, the Renaissance painter. And I, I just wanted to reflect on these for a moment. You know, in the book of Genesis, in part of the course of Genesis, the Lord speaks to Adam and Eve and he says that your seed will rise up and defeat the serpent. He will bite his heel, but he will strike his head. Would anyone say amen? His head will be struck. Can you see any heads being struck in this picture? Maybe if you can't, maybe you can see them in these verses. As soon as David returned from killing Goliath, Abner brought him to Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hand. The champion returns carrying his prize. The prize of the enemy. You see, we don't see this nowadays and to us it's appalling. But, but when... The O'Donovan brothers come back from the Olympics with a gold medal. They wear their Olympic medal around their neck, don't they? I am the champion, they say. I am the world champion. I am the Olympic champion. Or when somebody wins a prize, they normally take the prize around with them. And you see a team running around with the cup after winning the Champions League. They're kind of waving the cup and everybody's cheering. And David comes back with his prize. The head of Goliath in his hand. Amen. That's not a prize you want to see. David, what, what's that smell, David? <laughs> David took the Philistine's head to Jerusalem. He wasn't even finished with it. He took it to Jerusalem, but he stored the man's armor in his own tent. Again, we see the type of the work that Jesus did. That Jesus did. I want us, brothers and sisters, just to see the Jesus. Before we get to the us part of the story, it's important that we see the Jesus part of the story. Because if there's no Jesus part of the story, there's no us part of the story. Are you with me? The book is about Jesus, and it's looking to him as our hero, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's what gets me excited. This is what Jesus said. New Testament, let's look. The Gospels, Luke's Gospel. Here is Jesus said, When a strong man like Satan is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks him, overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off. His belongings. No, do you see it? You see, you're not the stronger person who's coming to bind Satan with the deepest of respect to you. You're not. Jesus is the strong man who comes to bind Satan. And it is in the name of Jesus that we cast out demons. It is in the name of Jesus we bind Satan in our experiences and in our circumstances. Are you with me? Let me finish off this one. In Romans Paul writes to the Romans just at the end of the book of Romans in Romans chapter 16. I think this is verse 20 or verse 30. My, my memory's gone a little bit. He says this. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
to crush Satan under your feet. But it's God who will do it. It's the God of peace who will do it. He will crush Satan under your feet. Can you see how we participate in the completed work of Jesus Christ? Do you see how we take a role in the work that Jesus has already done? Do you see how we're called to play a part in that? Yes. He's on the run and he's fighting a rear guard action. You're weak against him, but in God's name you are strong. In Jesus' name you are strong. Let me look for a second at just some of the compares and contrasts between Goliath and David. I want us to look at these just for a second so that we can see just exactly where this battle was on and where it was fought. You know them all, but for what they're worth. We see quite clearly that Goliath is strong, but David is weak by comparison. Goliath is strong. He's a big man. We see that Goliath is known. He is a known guy. Everybody knew Goliath, the champion from Gath. He was a big guy. Everybody knew him. He was Instagram ready. He had followers. He was an influencer. He probably used, I don't know, Savage by Dior or something like that. He probably promoted and had followers on Facebook and Instagram. He was known. David was an unknown. Who's this guy? Who is this guy? Who are you, huh? Even when he went to Saul, Saul said, what? You can't fight him. You're just a boy. In actual fact, he was such a boy that when the prophet Samuel went to anoint him, Samuel looked at his bigger brother, Eliab, and said, no, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And the Lord said to him, Samuel, 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 man looks on the outside, but God looks on the inside. What's going on in the heart and the soul of a person? That's what God is interested in. Thanks be to God. He looks on the inside. Because if he looked on the outside, I for one, along with many of us maybe, would be miserable in his sight. But he looks inside. Hallelujah. Let's go on. Goliath is advanced. He's got all of the technology. He's got all of the machinery. He's got the world systems working for him. The Philistines in that then region were the most well-armed of all the people. In fact, when you read earlier in Samuel and in reading the book of Judges, the Philistines wouldn't even let the Israelites have proper weapons. They had to fight with ox goads and pitchforks and sticks. He was advanced. David was primitive. He was impressive. David, frankly... Yeah, he was unimpressive. Even when Samuel said, do you have any more sons? His dad said, oh, well, there's, there's like the young fella, like. He's out in the, he's out in the field. He's, he's minding the sheep. He's, he was just unimpressive. And again, he was kind of forgotten. I love how he says, do you have any more children? And he says, I, I have one more. Can you imagine forgetting one of your children? Imagine David's father, Jesse, going, ah. Many years ago, I, I worked for a, a company called Waters Glass. It doesn't matter. I worked for a glass company. And every week, I used to ring a company called William Cox Limited, and they supplied plastics and plastic products to us at the time. And the woman working on the desk who answered the phones, they had a receptionist. They were very advanced. They had a receptionist, and I would ring up, and let's just call her Sarah. I can't actually remember her name. Sarah's the only name that I can come up at the moment. So I'd ring up every week. And she'd say, hello, William Cox, and I'd say, hi, Sarah, could I speak to Owen in, in sales, please? And she said, yes, of course. And you are? I'd say, this is Michael from Waters Glass in Cork. Okay, just a moment. 
So the next week I'd ring and say, hello Sarah, how are you? Can I speak to Owen in sales please? He'd say, yes of course, and you are? See, this is Michael from, 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 from Waters in Cork. So I got kind of tired of this, and I would be ringing this person maybe three, four times a week. So eventually I said, I'm just going to introduce myself. That's the simplest way. So I go in and say, hello Sarah, this is Michael from Waters Glass in Cork. Can I speak to Owen in sales, please? You say, yes, no problem. And you are? <laughs> now, if you ever want to be made feel small, wait for somebody to say to you, and you are? Then you know that you're not important to this person. I just love the idea. I love the idea that David fires the stone at Goliath and then runs over and takes out his sword and as he raises his sword he looks at Goliath and he says, And you are? There was one other significant difference and this is the difference where we need to pay attention, I think. Goliath had strength, but David had power. David had power. It's such a significant difference. And let me, in the, there's many differences between strength and power. Sometimes they're used synonymously. But I want to talk about it in the biblical context of understanding the nature of power in our lives. You see, Goliath's strength was what they call intrinsic. It was part of who he was. He was muscly, he was strong, he was ripped, he had the six-pack, he had the swords, he had legs like telegraph poles, he was a big man. And his strength was obvious and it was intrinsic to him. But David's power was what they refer to as extrinsic. It's power that comes from outside and into him to accomplish a battle. And so many times when I've read blogs and have read articles and have read commentaries about the story, almost invariably people lean on the natural situation of David because he was quick and fast and slow and he was able to move and he was all practiced with the stones. David had power that was extrinsic to him and his power came from the Lord, his God. Because he honored God, he knew the power of God in his life. Because he depended upon God, he knew the power of God in his life. And so when you compare these two men, in every way, in every way, Goliath has the advantage, except in one. The power of God is with David. Now when you look at this list, and I'm gonna, I can do it for the camera here. When you look at this list, that's us. We're weak. We're unknown. We're primitive. We're unimpressive. But we can know the power of God in our lives. There's not that many people here who are that strong, who are very well known. Any Instagram influencers in the room? Any gold medal Olympic winners? Any instant beheaders who got themselves notified by the world? Is there anybody here super advanced? I'm too advanced for these people. See, people look at Christianity and go, oh, it's primitive. Yeah, they're probably right. Praise God. Impressive. Sorry, lads. <laughs> None of us are in that camp. And if you think you're impressive, we'll pray for you afterwards. <laughs> Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says, lads, can you, would you open your eyes? He writes to the Corinthian church. And he uses almost this very same model of measure of comparison. And here's what he writes to them. He says, to those called by God to salvation, Christ is the power of God 
and the wisdom of God. No, this foolish plan of God is wiser than the, hum the, the wisest of human plans. He goes on to say, and this weakness, God's weakness is stronger than the greatest human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, I love this, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes, are powerful, are wealthy, when the Lord called you. Instead, God shows the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he shows the things that are powerless in order to shame the powerful. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. God shows the things that are despised by the world, Christians. <clears throat> the things counted as nothing at all. And use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Hallelujah. No one can go into God's presence and say, I did it. There are no self-made men and women in the kingdom of God. He chooses the foolish to confound the wise, the weak to confound the powerful. He uses the things that are despised and considered as nothing to bring to nothing what the world considers to be important. Hallelujah. I love when Paul writes, and he, he, you know, he, he's in this theme of like, lads, we're not really up to much, all things considered. And he does a comparison. He says this, he said, we have this treasure in jars from God, but we are like clay jars. Just clay jars, ordinary jars. Nothing special about them. We might buy a clay jar now because we think it's cool and it looks really nice on our, in our shake or kitchen or some such thing. But they just looked at clay jars. It was like Tupperware. It wasn't that important. But he says that this shows that the great power is from God and not from us. Brothers and sisters, we have nothing to offer the world except Jesus Christ himself. It's the only thing we have to offer the world. I remember once speaking to a woman who had gone through a really tough time. She did a really difficult situation with a baby being born to her. They were friends of ours. They were friends of Elmanis. And I remember... They, we, we visited them in the hospital and they were really upset. Their child was born sick. And they said, you know, how could God let this happen in our lives? And it was, it was a great question. It was tough and, you know, it was a really difficult situation. And, and to encourage them, I said, look, why don't you come to our house for dinner? And they said, stupidly, I said, look, we're not going to put any God or Jesus thing on you. And they said, okay, okay, okay. They never came for dinner afterwards, as it turns out. But as I left, I just felt the Lord say to me, you have nothing to offer. The only thing you have to offer is God or Jesus thing. It's the only thing you have to offer. You can't do anything else for someone. I am the only one who can save them, who can rescue them, and who can heal them. Not you. Thank you, Lord. It was a sobering reminder. You see, when we talk about jars of clay, we don't know what it is that people contain when we meet people. You know, I, I read a, a book recently called God of All Things by an English writer called Andrew Wilson. And in it, he takes this illustration one step further. And he says, imagine you're passing the Docklands, like Cork City is a maritime port. And he says, as you go past the Docklands, you see all of these containers, these freight containers about to being loaded onto a ship. I love watching ships being loaded and unloaded. It's my dad, he, he put it into us when we were kids. And he made a point. He said, when you go past that dock, you don't know which of those containers is valuable. They all look the same, 
As far as we're concerned, sometimes they're a bit battered and a bit beat, some of them are new. But some of them may contain styrofoam, nothing more than useless things like rubber duckies or something. Other ones may contain gold bars and gems and diamonds, and we don't know. Their value comes not from who they are on and of themselves, but it comes from what's inside them. Are you with me? Their strength comes from what's inside them. What's in you today? Do you have the treasure of God in your heart today? What's inside you? What's inside you? Here's what Paul writes. Paul, when he was in trouble, wrote that the Lord said to him, My grace is all you need, for my power works best in weakness. Seriously? Ouch. It works best in weakness? How can that possibly be? It's a paradox. And so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. I just love this idea. Paul's boasting about his weaknesses. I'm useless. I know, Paul, you're not. No, I am, honestly, I'm useless. I can't speak. I can't preach. I can't talk. I'm not much of prayer. I can't talk properly. Yeah, I'm small. My eyes are at me. He boasted in his weakness so that the power of Christ could work through him. He had only one aim to bring glory to Jesus Christ. He knew that when he realized how weak he was, God had the potential to work in him and work through him. Hallelujah is all I can say to that. Somebody's getting a beep. I hope it's not me. It's my watch. Oh, I, no, it's not. No, that vibrates silently. Only, only I know that's gone off. <laughs> and he goes on to say this. So he says, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. Paradox. When I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak intrinsically, the power of God comes to me extrinsically to empower me. Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem and you will receive power. You will receive it. It will come upon you. Tom quoted the Sunday before last. Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy. He says to him, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. That's what he gave us. And it's the same spirit, the same power, the power of love and self-control. When I'm weak, then I am strong. I don't know about you, but I feel weak quite often. I don't feel able quite often. But you know, you know, you know what gets to me though? We read these verses and we read these stories and we go, yeah, I know, Michael, thank you, I agree with you, I'm convinced at least, I hope that that's what you're saying, whether you're here or you're up in the atrium. Um, I hope you, you, you're agreeing, or if you're listening to the podcast or you're watching on the video outside, I hope you agree with it. But how? How do we experience the power of God at work in our lives every day. How can we say, Lord, I need you. How do we get to experience that? Well, I came across this one. I thought it was a really good, simple ABC, and we can remember it. It only takes a few seconds to go through. Maybe the band will come up, because we're going to sing, and we're going to pray, and we're going to worship here in just a second. The first is A. Admit. Admit that you need the strength and power of God in your life. It's the truth, and it will set you free. Nothing ever happens. God never moves until people call out to him and admit their situation. Let me give you an example from life. 
We all know that somebody who's struggling with an addiction cannot be helped until they admit that they are powerless over this addiction. Until they admit that they have no power, they will never have power. Until we admit it, until we confess it, until we ask for it, we will not know God's power at work in our lives. The second one is this. Be connected. Be connected to Jesus Christ. It's not very complicated. And going, yeah, but how do we experience the power? By being in connection. We don't have this moment where we're walking down McCurtain Street one day, having had a godless life, or doing whatever we want, and it says, Lord, give me power. We're not like Samson. Like, Be connected to Jesus. Jesus said, John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 5. Remain in me, and I remain in you. He says, you, you must remain in me, and I in you, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Nada, as they say in Spanish. Nada. You can do nothing apart from me. And what does it mean to remain? Some people think remain is, well, I'm just going to sit here now on my soft, comfy couch and just remain with Jesus. Remaining is actually a very active thing. It means putting your faith into practice. But being connected means praying. It means asking, it means inviting, it means admitting, it means reading God's word and knowing what God has to say about you and about your life. It means being tuned into his Holy Spirit because B and C are very closely connected and that is to choose God's way in your life. You know, if you have a decision to make that's really tough, but you know it's what God wants you to do and you ask for power, you will receive the power to do that. You really will. And there's people here this morning and you need to receive power. You're facing a choice or a decision and you need to know God's power at work in your life. You need to choose God's way. We talked last week about the, about the, the, the armor of God. Admitting is about truth. It's about the belt of truth being wrapped around us. It's the truth. It's the saying, Lord, yeah, I need your help. I need your power at work in me. It isn't automatic. We invite it. We ask God's power to show up and to be connected and to choose God's way. That's, brothers and sisters, the paradox of power in our lives. Mm -hmm.